Well, hey there, welcome to Hillside Missionary Church Online. We're so excited that you're joining us here today. And we truly believe that we are not on your screen by accident, but that God intentionally wants to grow his relationship with you wherever you stand with him today. So here's a huge welcome to Hillside Missionary Church Online.
going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke today. We've been in this book for a number of weeks now. We're in chapter 6, so wherever you're following us along here, uh, whether it be in a paper version of a Bible or on the online version Bible app, make sure to... Uh, go to Luke chapter 6. If you are on that Bible app, you can always click the More tab, then Events, and then find us, Hillside Missionary Church. We're going to be starting in verse 12 of Luke chapter 6 today. Remember, you can always find uh, the link to the YouVersion Bible app in the description of wherever you're finding this, as well as our online bulletin. We really encourage you to take a look at that online bulletin. You're going to be able to find all of the announcements to follow along and to keep up to date here. You're going to find the sermon outline as well as those reflection questions. So let's uh, dive in here to Luke chapter 6. This is what it says. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from, the, uh, I'm sorry, from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. How'd you like that as your name for all of eternity, Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor? And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, all Judea and Jerusalem and the, uh, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all who came here to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, We're going to get to what he said here in just a moment. I want to do something just a little bit differently today than what we usually do. Usually we read through the entire passage, we pray, and then we dive back into it. Today, I just want to give you that context. That's a context of what we're heading into, that Jesus just chose the 12 disciples uh, that are going to be with him for the next few years. And he's been uh, reaching out to people, healing people, and then he's going to give them this awesome sermon. It's a very common sermon. Uh, this one is referred to the Sermon on the Plain. You may uh, be more familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. They're very, very similar. Uh, scholars are kind of split on, you know, whether this is a different sermon or this is uh, the same sermon that Luke recorded. Uh, and, you know, is it a difference of angle? You know, maybe they're on a plateau. We, we don't know exactly if this was the same one or a different one. What we do know is Jesus probably gave this similar message all over the place to very uh, uh, different people all over the place. And so it's a very similar message to what he gives in other places, in other uh, Gospels here. So uh, we are going to uh, dive into this. Before we do that, though, let's just, uh, let's just go before God and pray and ask Him for His help with this, to soften our hearts to whatever it is that He has. Because as we always say, we don't want to be people who just show up to church or watch church online and then leave unaffected. We want to truly be molded by God, allow ourselves to change, to be less like us, and more like him. So let's ask God for his help with that today. Pray with me if you will. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's good, that it's perfect, that it's authoritative over our lives, that what you say goes, God. We just thank you for that, that we don't uh, have to make up the rules on our own, but that God, you have already designed us 
with Scripture, with these guidelines in mind that we ought to follow. And we thank you for that because we believe truly that there is freedom in that Christ. Jesus, we just thank you so much for that, for dying on the cross to offer us this freedom, this relationship with you. And so, God, as, as we dive into this, uh, Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you allow us to, to uh, allow you to transform our lives? Help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we've got a question for you. Have you ever uh, just been listening to someone speak or maybe you uh, watched a video online on YouTube or something like that? And what the person said was kind of an aha moment for you. I, I love these moments that when you're watching something or listening to someone and it just kind of clicks, you know, maybe it's something where uh, you are interested in how things work. You know, maybe you're interested in how an engine works. And so you're looking that up on YouTube and it just kind of like finally clicks for you. And you're just like, ah, yes, I, I get this. I, I get it. I find oftentimes those aha moments for me are those times where I hear something that maybe I've thought about before, but it's just kind of a vague thought, maybe in the back of my head, and someone puts words to that. And it might be super simple, right? It might be something that we hear and we go, yeah, obviously that's true. But when we put words to something and when we can actually talk about them intelligently and not just kind of these vague thoughts, it's kind of this like aha moment for us, right? Because we can kind of grasp something when you can put words to that. I feel like that's similar to what Jesus does here in his sermon. As he's speaking here, we're going to highlight three major things that he says. Three, we're going to boil down this whole sermon to three points. And it's kind of like this aha moment. It's kind of like this, ah, yes, like, yes, this is how God designed us to live our lives. He has already laid this out. Like, we don't have to make up the rules. God has already designed this, and he's giving this, remember, in the context of he uh, just called his disciples and he's healing these people. So it's almost essentially as he's saying, okay, you're all little baby Christians here. You're new to following me. Let me just give you the basics of what it looks like to actually follow me. What it looks like to actually have a relationship with me. Because remember, God did not design our faith to just be head knowledge. God did not design our faith so that we just show up to church and we learn things and then we leave. God designed our faith to actually affect our lives. And so many times we try to separate these things, right? So many times we just try to use it as head knowledge or vice versa. We try to just have this relationship with Jesus and let go of all the knowledge and just say, oh, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to uh, follow in the ways of Jesus, right? We're just going to do what Jesus taught, but we're going to forget about that relationship. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 it's a relationship with me. And it's allowing yourself to be affected by my word, that this relationship with me affects the way that we live our lives, just like we talked about last week in our talk about legalism. If you haven't, talked, or if you haven't watched that yet, I'd love for you to go back at this point and click on Luke chapter uh, 6, oh, and it's week 14 in our series. This is week chapter, uh, sorry, week number 15, uh, but week uh, number 14, we talked about the Pharisees and the legalistic tendencies. Uh, really important message. So if you haven't watched that yet, go back and see that. But we're going to continue on here. And we're going to see these three practical tips that Jesus has in his very famous sermon here. This is the first one. He starts talking 
It says that he lifts up his eyes on his disciples and says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Uh, I want to uh, just uh, pause there real quick. You may have uh, heard these before, the Beatitudes. You may have read through these. They're very famous words that Jesus says. But what Jesus is saying here is really radical to the people of this day. We look at this and we go, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. We've heard this before, but this is completely radical. And if we really take it to heart, I believe it's just as radical for us today as it is for people back then. Jesus continues on here, and uh, in this account in Luke is the only place that it uh, records the woe. So everyone has like the blessed, right? The other accounts have this blessed, the Beatitudes. This is the only place uh, when uh, this sermon is being recorded where Luke records the woes. Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when uh, all people seek well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You see what Jesus is doing is he's flipping the coin around and saying, here's the flip side to this coin. Yes, blessed are you when you are hungry and when you weep, but woe to you when you're full and when you're laughing. So why does Jesus say this? I believe, I believe Jesus says this because he's flipping the value system that these people had, and quite frankly, our culture does as well, on its head. I think what he's getting at is that we need to value what God values, not what the world values. So Jesus brings up these uh, four things. Uh, poor to rich, hungry to fed, weeping to laughing, and bad reputation to good reputation. So I want you to think about these examples that he brings up just for a moment here. Think about the poor to riches. He says, blessed are you who are poor, but woe to you who have a lot of money. Why do you think that he would say that? Why do you think that he would uh, say that and, and, and say like, okay, why is it a bad thing to have a lot of money? I don't think he's necessarily saying that it's inherently bad, but that your tendency when you have a lot of money is to rely on what? Well, your money to take care of you instead of God, right? Think about it like this. Um, this past week, uh, when I'm recording this, the stimulus check, uh, the third round of stimulus checks uh, just came out. It's a very, very large check. Um, and so a lot of people are, uh, <laughs> they're, they're kind of going on spending sprees and, and, and things like this. I want to ask you a question. Maybe you've never uh, seen a large number in your bank account. Maybe you're one of those people who lives paycheck to paycheck all the time. I want to ask you a question. Does your demeanor change when you have a large number in your bank account? I know many people whose demeanor tends to change. Whose demeanor tends to change of, oh, woe is me to, whoa, this is awesome, let's spend it all. Right? And it affects the way that we interact with God oftentimes. I think what Jesus is getting at is, is when he's saying, hey, uh, blessed are you who are poor. You're blessed 
because your tendency is going to be to rely on God to supply all of your needs, not your own self, right? Not your own bank account, but on God. And when you're rich, well, woe to you because your tendency is going to be to rely on yourself, your own money, your own bank account to uh, get everything that you need. And so what Jesus is saying here, he uses these four examples. They're all very similar here, right? Hungry to fed, weeping to laughing, bad reputation and a good reputation with people. He's saying these things because he wants us to rely on him. It affects our relationship with God. I think Paul summarizes it very well in Philippians chapter 4. He says, not, uh, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, look at this, content. I know how to be brought low and, how, and now uh, how to abound in, any circ- in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, there's a secret sauce here, which is relying on Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, let's flip the value system around here so that you do rely on me, not your stuff, not being well fed, right? How many times do we need to have full bellies? I mean, I think that's why fast food restaurants are literally all over the place, right? We could go through the drive-thru, get something real quick, even if it's just a snack. Or maybe you're not a food person, maybe you're a little bit more of a drink person, and you're saying, man, I just need my Starbucks all the time. Whenever I go out, I get a Starbucks because it just makes me feel better, right? And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, listen, don't rely on money, don't rely on food, don't rely on being happy and laughing, don't rely on your reputation, on others thinking good of you, rely on me. Just as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? This is the secret sauce that he's learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that he can do all things through Christ who, th- who strengthens him. You know, I think we've got to do this. I, I want to ask you a question. How well are you at going without things? How well are you are at skipping a meal? at uh, tithing a little bit more so you have a little bit less in your bank account, at uh, maybe uh, skipping that coffee. And here's the deal. When we do that, oftentimes I find that it allows us to rely on Christ a little bit deeper. And the coolest thing is that discipline oftentimes begets discipline. When you're disciplined with the things that you're eating, oftentimes you say, now i got to be disciplined about my time, right? It's kind of like, uh, I think about it like, I, li- I like to do house projects around the house, but the problem is when you make one room look really good, the next room looks even worse than you thought it ever could possibly, right? Like when you have that really nice white trim in the one room and then you look over and you haven't painted like the next room's trim, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize how many marks were on that. I didn't realize how dingy that looks, right? When you make one thing really good, oftentimes it encourages you to do other things. Faithfulness oftentimes begets faithfulness. The problem is unfaithfulness oftentimes begets unfaithfulness in other situations of our lives. You know, it's kind of that momentum theory that you have this momentum of, okay, I'm being faithful with uh, my time and my money. Now I have to be uh, faithful with my body. Now I have to be faithful with the food that I'm eating. You know, it's, it's these things where we're saying, okay, I got to give everything over to God. I'm going to be faithful with what I have. 
in everything. And I'm going to value what God values, not what the world values. I'm focused on what God has for me, not what the world says is really, really important. And that affects how we treat people, which is what Jesus gets to next. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he starts his next point here. He says, What I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, blessed, uh, I'm sorry, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so on to them. This is a crazy and radical thing back in that time, but also, like I said earlier, in this time as well. Let me put it like this. Um, how many times uh, have you seen someone get uh, maybe something uh, wrong, they were wrong somehow, maybe something got stolen, maybe they were cheated, uh, lied to, you know, so, something bad happened to someone and uh, they turned to that person who wronged them and said, why don't you wrong me again, right? Like if someone's uh, mugging someone on the street and they steal their wallet, uh, how many times have you seen someone say, all right, well, why don't you take my cell phone too? Right? Like, I mean, that never happens. And back then, people are listening to this, and this is radically different from the way that people would have operated. People would have said, okay, if you're going to wrong me, I'm going to wrong you to get back at you just the same. And that was considered uh, the good thing to do, because uh, what oftentimes people would do is do something worse than what they, uh, did, were, happened to them. And so it would kind of this downward spiral, right? And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, let's not have the downward spiral. Let's not just be neutral of, uh, you know, counteracting whatever happened to you onto that other person, but let's actually bless that person who wronged you. I mean, this is radical. And Jesus gives us uh, the reasoning behind it here in the next verse. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend uh, to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I think what God is getting at here, what Jesus is trying to preach, is not only to value what God values, not what the world values, but also to let, God, uh, let God's love rule the way that we interact with everyone. I think that's what he's getting at when he says, hey, love your enemies. Love those who do bad things to you. And lend freely, give freely to everyone, not expecting anything in return. That's the way that God loves us. Did you see the way that Jesus routes this at the very end in Luke chapter 6, verse 36? At the end of his uh, point here, he says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's like what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that we have to let God's love rule the way that we interact 
with everyone. Rule the way that it interacts. Rule the way that uh, our conversations go. How many times are you graceful in a conversation with someone? You say, okay, I know what you're saying isn't correct, but I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm just going to simply treat you mercifully as God has treated me. How many times do we let that, uh, let God's love rule over our lives when we're in the comment section on social media? How many times do we let God's love rule over our lives in our conversations and the way that we are interacting with people? And not just our face-to-face conversations either. Take a look at what Jesus brings up next. He says, Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Um, Baking people, you get this. I was taught in middle school home ec class that when you're measuring something out, you're not to pack it down. You're not to uh, just scoop it up and then like on the edge of the packaging kind of just like level it off, right? Because that packs it down. Like if you're pulling out flour, that, that flour is going to be a little bit more compacted. So you're supposed to just kind of lightly fluff it into the cup and then, you know, use like a straight edge, like a butter knife or something and just kind of scoot off the top and make sure it's not flowing over. But what Jesus says here, what God's way of dealing with people here is he's saying, hey, if you use good measure, good measure will be used for you. And not only will it just be like the normal amount, it's going to be pressed down, it's going to be compacted, it's going to be shaken together, it's going to be running over. For with the measure, look at this, it's so important, verse 38, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is getting at this idea of judging people, that not only are we to allow God's uh, love to rule over the way that we interact with someone face to face, but also in our thought life. That our thought life is important. Jesus says to judge not. Look at verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. And so many times people take this out of context. You know, you may approach someone and say, hey, you know what, I, I don't think that you really did that correctly. Can I, can I talk to you about that? And they'll say, hey, you can't judge me about that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that we can't hold people accountable and that we uh, uh, shouldn't be open to people's critique. Jesus is not meaning that when he says not to judge. What he's meaning here, he actually brings up right here in the next verse. It says that he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone uh, when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. So what Jesus is saying here, under this point of letting God's rule, uh, love rule over the way that we interact with people, is that even in your thought process, you're not to judge people based on these very uh, hypocritical, harsh, unforgiving, superficial thoughts. 
like someone's appearance or the way that they speak or the way that they dress. What Jesus is getting at is that when we pull up to an intersection and you're at the red light and the next car pulls up to you in the lane right next to you and their music is bumping with very profane music and you can't barely even hear your Christian radio and you look over and there's some crazy guy wearing a big old hat with a marijuana leaf on it and then they have the audacity to pull out their cell phone and text when they drive and the light turns green and because they're texting they don't see you they pull in the other lane and cut you off what Jesus is saying here is that we don't judge them and say man that guy's an awful person I bet he's a horrible dad and I bet he's a horrible employee you know our, our brain like runs with things right oh yeah I bet that guy I bet he's high all the time and I bet he uh, treats his kids horribly and uh, I bet he's off gambling all of his money and and you know like our brain tends to just jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and what Jesus is saying here is that your thoughts are important the way that you think about others is important and he says that measure that you use onto others will be also used to you. That measure that you use when you're scrolling through social media and you see that one of your friends posted something and you're like, well, I wouldn't let my kids do that. That's horrible parenting. And then you think, oh, well, I bet they're a horrible parent. I bet they uh, never talk to their kids very kindly. And I bet they feed them nothing but garbage and junk food, right? Like, I mean, our, our brains just jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. And what Jesus says, if that's the measure that you're using onto others, that's the measure that's going to be used onto you. That's the way that God is going to hold you accountable as well. And here's the problem with that. None of us are perfect. And so I, for the most part, I mean, when we do this, I mean, we're not even keeping uh, to these our own standards for our own life, right? I mean, we mess up all the time. We sin all the time. And we need God's grace all the time. And I don't know about you, but if the way that uh, my, the, 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 the judging measure that I use for others is the way that uh, God is going to judge me, I, man, I need to offer like truckloads, train loads, airplane loads of grace, right? I mean, just massive and massive and massive loads of grace for everyone around me because that's the grace that I need in my own life. And you got to be able to see, hey, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And so this grace that we all need, we need to offer each other as well. And God, he roots that back to his own, right? He says, be merciful because I have given you mercy. A lot of these times we can interact with someone and we're totally fine. But the moment that we are not face to face with them any longer, our thoughts are going crazy. And we would never say these thoughts out loud, but we think horrible, horrible things about people. And then we rationalize it in our mind because we say, well, yeah, but we're really nice to them. And so um, it's just my brain doing what my brain does. And I can't, I mean, I can't control my thoughts, right? I can't control where my brain goes. Take a look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Look at this. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. You control your thought life. Whether you like it or not, you control your thought life. You control the way that you view others and the conversations that you have in your own mind. I know that's unpopular and I know a lot of people probably rail against that and say, no, my brain just does crazy things. I can't control it. 
you control those conversations. And so if you're in the middle of something like that, if you're driving, somebody cuts you off, if you're on social media, if you're on the store and somebody's dressed completely differently from you and they're using words that you don't say and using a different accent and they look totally different from you and so your brain is just racing, thinking of the thoughts about their life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just say, stop. Brain, pause for a sec. I'm going to think about something else. Just as you would in a normal conversation with anyone else that got out of hand, maybe they started gossiping, maybe they started talking about something inappropriate, and you say, hey, you know what, uh, we're just, I, I'm just uncomfortable with talking about that. We're not going to do that in this space. This is not the time for this conversation. You do the same thing in your head and say, hey, you know what, I'm not thinking about that. Because just as Paul says, I'm going to take captive every thought to obey Christ, that's what we need to do as well in our own minds. We need to take our thoughts captive to obey God and let God's love rule over the way that we interact with everyone. Even if we're not interacting with that person face to face, even if the only interaction that we have with someone is seeing someone and having thoughts about them, we still need to let God's love rule over the way that we are interacting with that person. And that changes the way that we interact with God. Because when we're changing the way that we're interacting with other people, even in our heads, we interact with God differently. We offer more grace to other people, and we rely on God's grace more for our own lives. Jesus continues on to his last point, and he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad uh, tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and our grapes are not picked from uh, bramble bushes, but the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Those thoughts that you are thinking about other people will eventually come out. It's surprising. We hear about it all the time. But it's surprising when we hear about this, of someone who we thought was totally normal, who's never made comments like this before, suddenly makes a racist comment. You know, you hear about it all the time on the news. Uh, sportscaster uh, speaks a, you know, a racial slur or something like that. And, you know, people are so surprised. They're like, I could never imagine that he's been, that he said that. I mean, it must be a total slip of the tongue. Can't believe it. Well, Jesus says, actually, he speaks it from the abundance of his heart. The overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. Those thoughts that you're thinking about other people, they will come out eventually whether you like it or not. So be careful. Be careful about that. Jesus goes on and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Reminds me of that kid's song, the, house who, uh, the man who built his house upon the rock versus the man who built his house upon the sand. What Jesus is saying here, look at this, it's all about doing what he says. 
It's all about doing what he says. He says, for a man who does what he says, look at this, is like someone who is uh, digging deep, building a good foundation for his house. And when things come against that house, it stands. And vice versa for someone who does not do that, someone who does not listen to Jesus, maybe who hears it but does not do what he's actually saying to do. It's like laying a foundation on sand, and when the water comes, it flips right over. What is Jesus saying? Well, I think he's saying that we need to turn our hearts towards God and allow his word to actually affect our lives. So many times we show up to church, and we hear church online or whatever, We hear these things and we go, man, that's so true. We wag our finger and say, can't believe everyone's not doing that. And then we leave, we turn off church, and we go back to the normal, everyday things that we have been doing. And it doesn't affect our lives. It may affect our brains. It may affect the way that uh, we would say uh, things are right or wrong or things are biblical or unbiblical. But it doesn't affect the way that we live our lives oftentimes, and that's wrong. Jesus says, hey, if you want your faith to last, if you want it to be built well, that inevitably that flood will come, right? Things will come against your faith. He says, if you want it to keep, you got to do what I'm telling you to do. That's how he ends his sermon. Hey, actually do what I told you to do. Don't just listen to it. Don't just acknowledge that it's correct. Actually do it. Allow yourself to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to do what I told you to do. So I want to leave you with just a few questions today. Do you value what God values? Are your values always about yourself, self-centered, having enough money, uh, having the things that you want in your life? Or is it, I'm able to go without because I value what God values. And my comforts, ah, they're just comforts. I can be uncomfortable for a while and it's okay do you um, let God's love interact or allow that to affect the way that you interact with people even your thought life can you take every thought captive and bring it to obey Christ and do you actually do these things Do you actually do what scripture says or do you just acknowledge it in your brain I know these things are you know, they're kind of basic things that Jesus is saying here, but oftentimes, man, they're really profound because we struggle with them day in and day out. And so it's important to say, all right, um, I, I, these things are important, what Jesus is saying here, and I want it to actually affect the way that I'm living my life. If you need some help with that, if you need to discuss that with someone, we've got a small group program. We'd love to get you involved with that, to uh, have those deep conversations with people. But there's some reflection questions uh, in, the, in, in the description of this video in our online bulletin. Click on those. Go through those. Talk about it with someone. Talk about it with a good, mature Christian friend. Maybe your spouse. Maybe a, a co-worker. Maybe a peer that you have. Maybe someone in your small group. Talk about these questions with someone. That's a good way for what Jesus is talking about to affect your life. You know, so many times we try to just do it on our own and say, I don't need any, I don't need a community of people around me. I don't need anybody around me helping me. I got this. Jesus and I, we're, we're in a good thing. We got this. And actually, that's exactly where the enemy wants you. Talk about it with someone. Get it out there. Have someone hold you accountable. Because otherwise, we'll just keep on doing the same things we've always done, right? We'll keep on, on having those thoughts towards other people. 
We'll keep on judging other people. We'll keep on valuing our own comfort above what God has for our lives. And it never really affects us. Let's be the type of people who are affected by what God says in his word, who are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thanks so much for your word today. We love you because you first loved us. And so help us to truly be transformed by you, Jesus. Help your word to truly reign over our lives. Help us to do what you told us to do. Would you help us to take every captive, take every thought captive for you? Would you help us to value what you value, God? Help us to change our lives. Help us to be molded to be less like us and more like you day in and day out. And it's in your precious, life-changing name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Your love is devoted Like a ring of solid gold Like a vow that is tested Like a covenant of old Your love is enduring With mercy for today, faithful you have been, and faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. makes us whole you shoulder our weakness and your strength becomes our own you're making me like you clothing me in white bringing beauty from ashes for you will have your bride free from all her guilt rid of all her shame and known by her true name and it's why i sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips. You will be praised, you will be praised. With angels and saints we sing, worthy are you, Lord. You will be praised, you will be praised. 
with angels and saints we say, Worthy are you, Lord. And it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Well, hey, thanks again so much for joining us. We're so excited that you did. If you're new with us, just a quick reminder, go to our website, hmcworship.com forward slash I'm new. Fill out that I'm new card. We'd love to give you some more information about who we are, how to get plugged in here. And if you're interested in joining a small group, we would love to get you plugged into one of those. Just send us a message, fill out that card, leave a little note for us, and we'd love to get you plugged into that program. We love you, church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend.